Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for Scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today it's part one of the Gospel of John, chapter 17. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Hi everybody, welcome for our lecture of John chapter 17. In this chapter, Jesus will pray for his followers and for the coming church. It is his longest prayer in all the gospels and it's called the high priestly prayer. He wants glorification for the father through his completed work and he also is praying for unity among the disciples and all believers, us. So there's going to be five petitions of Jesus in this high priestly prayer. The first one, he is petitioning for glorification based on the completion of his work. The second petition is for his disciples. The third petition is for the preservation and sanctification of his own in the world, those who believe in him. Petitioning number four for unity of his own. And finally, petitioning for the union of his own with himself. And he wants that union while we're still alive, as we take from the vine, without him we can do nothing. And he wants that union eternally forever in what we call eternal life. So this prayer is going to conclude that four chapter farewell discourse and the dinner. And things are rapidly going to progress after this. They're going to go out into the Kidron Valley and they're going to all meet up at a garden where they often met. Now, last week, John 16 had told us about the work of the Holy Spirit, and we have John to thank for so much information about the Trinity. God is the Father, God is the Son, and God is the Holy Spirit. But the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. They are three separate, distinct persons in one. And we went through the icon of Rublov and had some beautiful insights based on Genesis chapter 18, which the early Christians in the catacombs were already painting for Trinity. Some other churches, old churches, one in Perugia with the three faces, one person, three faces, one person, three faces, one God. Sculptures of three persons, one God. So we call that the most holy trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as early as the third century, calling that a trinity, a most holy trinity. Now, Satan can't stand the image of God. He can't stand the image of the most holy trinity. So he can't stand a holy marriage because it images trinity. He can't stand the Catholic Church because it's a marriage between Christ and his bride. It's a wedding feast of the Lamb of God. He can't stand the holy priesthood because it's a marriage between Christ, the bridegroom, and his bride, the church. The priest is in person of Christ in that marriage. And all of those types of marriages have the potential to produce eternal life. <laughs> marriage can produce children with eternal souls. The church can produce children through baptism and wash clean their eternal souls for all eternity. And the priesthood protects that with the sacraments that washes clean and keep the baptized children of God, keep them prepared for eternal life. So the opposite of the most holy trinity would be the most unholy trinity. And that's the one Satan likes. Satan would like for us to believe in this most unholy trinity, 
a different type of trinity. The unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. Me, myself, and I. I can be my own God. I got this. No problem. Do you ever do that? Because Eve did right off the bat. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals. And he said to the woman, did God say? Did God say that you can't eat from that tree in the garden? And the woman said, well, we, we can eat of all the fruit of all the trees of the garden, but there's just one in the middle of the garden that we're not supposed to eat of. We're not even supposed to touch it. He said, if we eat of it, we shall die. And the serpent said to the woman, no, you will not die. That's what he said, that you die. Oh, you will not die. You will not. God knows that if you eat of that, your eyes are going to be opened. You will be like God. Me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity. You could be your own God. You could plan your own destiny. You could do your own things. You could have a plan all your kids' lives and your grandkids. You could do everything. The deceiver, the liar, told them that they could be their own God. I, 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 me, myself, and I, the most unholy trinity. And when they chose to listen to Satan's words instead of listening to God's word, they lost their immortality. And that's eternal life, life forever, immortal. And Jesus had to bring back eternal life to humanity. They are banished. They are separated from paradise, eternal life, immortality. They're on the other side and they can't get back. And so Jesus, the way, the truth, and the eternal life is going to get them back to the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. He is going to do this by becoming human, one like us in all things, but I sin. He's not going to succumb to the trinity of I. In fact, he will lay down everything. He will be the servant of servant, the most humblest of all. He knew well the most holy trinity because he's one of them. And he said tonight, I glorify you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do, Father. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. This was the Father's plan all along from before the beginning of time. Jesus is like, let's get this show on the road. I've been here 33 years away from the Father. You know what that is? He was chomping at the bit. He wants to get home to the Father. Everything the Father told him, he told us. Everything. Whereas friends, he didn't hold anything back. And everything that the Father asked him to do, he's going to do perfectly in perfect obedience to the Father, to glorify him. Jesus is going to win back our immortality, our eternal life that we were supposed to have all along, but we lost. Due to our first parents, we all inherited a DNA that has, it's a spiritual DNA and it has original sin. And some people say, well, that's not fair. We were supposed to have immortality. The ability to live forever was now gone. And John tells us more about this immortality or eternal life than any other gospel in the Bible. Jesus Christ was the Father's plan before the beginning of time. He's plan A all along, not plan B when we messed up. Mark is going to mention eternal life two times. Matthew, three times. Luke, three times. John will talk about eternal life 19 times in his one short 21-chapter gospel, 19 times. Eternal life. Our first parents didn't listen, and they didn't do what God said. They didn't follow God's word. They didn't trust God's word. But God sent his own word again in a new way. It's Jesus himself, the word of God. 
And would humanity trust it now? Would we trust God's word the second time around? And will humanity, 2,000 years later, continue to trust God's word in our own lifetimes? Now the burden's on us. We can't blame our parents anymore. Jesus came and washed us clean of that. Now it's on us to believe. Will we embrace God's word? Will we trust it? Will we obey it? Will we listen to it? Will we follow it? Because listening to and doing God's word is going to get us back to everlasting life. He promises. Will we embrace his word? His word is Jesus. And God wants to give us all our own spiritual DNA through a new life in Christ. And we wear a white baptismal gown because we're a brand new, pure, new creation in Christ when we're baptized and our spiritual DNA is washed away through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. And we can't blame those first parents anymore. It's not their fault anymore. You were washed clean. Then you never sinned again, right? Since you were eight days old, right? He came to us, incarnate flesh, the Word of God, that those who believe in Jesus might have eternal life. He so loved the world, he gave his only son, so everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have what? Eternal life. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. The water I bring is going to be a spring of water gushing up to what? Eternal life. And 19 times more, and I won't read them all. Jesus came to reveal to us who the Father is. And when Jesus was reunited with the Father, they would together fully unleash the power of the Holy Spirit upon the entire world. Now, after Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Theme of the hour we've heard and heard and heard and heard. The hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. He wants every single person to have eternal life. He did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. He wants us back. And this is eternal life that you may know the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. Now he hasn't finished the work yet when he's saying this, but he knows with every confidence he's going to do every single thing the Father said. Do you have that same confidence? Will you never slip up? So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. Oh, that glory, what that glory must have been like. The glory Jesus the Son had in God the Father's presence before the world ever existed. Wow, what was that glory like? What type of glory is that? I want me some of that glory. You will have some of that glory one day. John gives us a lot of clues about this glory. John was an eyewitness to the glory of Jesus in the transfiguration. Only Peter, James, and John got to go up. John was an eyewitness, but guess what? He never, ever, ever wrote about it. Why? Matthew wasn't there. He wrote about it. Mark wasn't there. He wrote about it. Luke wasn't there. He wrote about it. John was there. He didn't write about it. Curious. Luke said the appearance of Jesus' face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. They appeared in glory. I think John's transfiguration is Revelation chapter 11. John already wrote about it, so he didn't need to repeat it in his gospel. Hmm, what was that about? In Revelation 11, there are two witnesses, but really there are four witnesses. 
There are two olive trees and two lampstands that stand before the Lord of earth. Two olive trees, two lampstands. They have authority to shut the sky so no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. They have authority over the waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague. Huh. Any idea who the first olive tree and the first lampstand are in the Old Testament? Someone who can shut the sky? Someone who can turn water to blood and any plague he wants to do, he can do? Ah, a prophet who can shut the sky and a prophet who can turn water to blood or any other plague that he wants to do, you're right. Moses is the lampstand with light shooting out of his head. His face is so radiant with the glory of God that they have to put a scarf on his face when he comes down from the mountain. And Elijah, the olive tree full of the oil of the Holy Spirit, when he speaks his prophetic word, the Spirit of God is on him. Greatest prophet of all time. And John is watching this. The glorification of Jesus Christ. And he can barely stand it. He can barely look at it. They're transfigured before him. His face is shining like the sun. His clothes are dazzling white. His face changes. His garments are whiter than any fuller can bleach them. It's glory, glory, glory of God. They could barely behold the glory of God. Paintings show them shielding their faces. Why did Jesus show them his glory? Because soon Jesus will be making a departure back to the Father. The work will be done. He will be glorifying the Father by finishing the work. Luke says they appeared in glory. They were speaking of his departure. And he was about to accomplish this at Jerusalem. He's heading to the cross. He's heading to Calvary. It's a departure. What's a departure? The action of leaving. Typically to start a journey. Leave-taking, withdrawal, exit, retreat, going away. And in the Greek... The word for departure is exodus. He's going to take an exodus. Jesus Christ is departing an exodus accomplished in Jerusalem. Ah, now who's the second olive tree in the second lampstand? A prophet who can preach like the great Elijah of old. Maybe he wears camel hair. He's full of the Holy Spirit. And who's the other prophet who can radiate light? Like Moses, uh, the glory of God's face. But not just radiate the glory of God's face. He is God's face. He is God's light. He is God's glory personified. Who are these two? The olive tree is John the Baptist. He's full of oil. The Holy Spirit. The anointing oil of the Holy Spirit is all over John. And Jesus says himself, a prophet? John the Baptist? Yes, I tell you, more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it was written, see, I'm sending a messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. A messenger ahead of you, six months ahead of you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of woman, who has arisen greater than John the Baptist? Yet, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The least will be the Lamb of God. The least, the most humble, the meekest Lamb of God who goes to the slaughter on our behalf, who is God. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John came. And Jesus said, if you are willing to accept it, John the Baptist is Elijah, who is to come. Let anyone with ears listen. How about Moses? Moses, the light stand. Moses gave the law when he came down from a mountain. Jesus came down from the Mount of Beatitudes. 
He came down to say he would not abolish the law of Moses, but he would fulfill it. He wouldn't take one tittle, one iota of the law away. Jesus, the new Moses, would do miraculous signs and wonders way more than Moses. He wouldn't just provide bread. He did that, manna for 5,000. But he said, I am the bread of eternal life. Eat me and live. God revealed one I am statement to Moses. God will reveal through Jesus, the new Moses, a perfection of seven I am statements. So we have Elijah and Moses. We have the new Elijah, John the Baptist, and the new Moses, Jesus Christ. They are two olive trees and they are two lampstands. And that's John's transfiguration to give us a taste of their glory. Now, had Elijah or Moses ever seen God's glorious manifestation? If you remember, Elijah went to the top of Mount Horeb, which is also Sinai, same mount where Moses was. And God said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. The Lord's about to pass you by, Elijah. And there was a great wind, so strong. It was splitting mountains, breaking rocks into pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind was an earthquake. And the Lord was not in the earthquake. But after the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire was a sound of sheer silence. And that's where God manifested his glory to Elijah in the silence. Isn't that beautiful? And then he got a cell phone call right then. <laughs> when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went and stood at the entrance of the cave. And there came a voice to him that said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he answered, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. The Israelites have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they are seeking my life to take it away. So God glorifies himself to Elijah, and they want to kill him for it. Well, the new Elijah, John the Baptist, has revealed the glory of God to Israel. He's coming. He's coming. Prepare the way. Repent. And you can imagine him locked up in a dank, cold prison cell by Herod. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Jesus would have said the same thing in the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm all alone. I'm left. They're seeking my life to take it away. Had Moses ever witnessed a manifestation of God's glory? Many times. The first time in Exodus 3 when he sees the theophany of the burning bush. I am who I am. And he hid his face. He was afraid to look at God. And many times Moses spoke with God. And we're told that the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face. As one speaks to a friend, face to face. That's how Adam and Eve used to speak with him in the garden. But after that golden calf episode in Exodus 32, even the high priest helped carve the golden calf, his brother Aaron. And the Lord said to Moses, I've seen those people, how stiff-necked they are. Let me alone so my wrath can burn hot against them. I may consume them. And I will make of you, Moses. You and I will go on and make a great nation. And Moses begged the Lord on their behalf. He interceded for the sinful Israelites. I found favor in your sight, but show me your ways that I might know you and find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people, Lord. He begs on their behalf. And God said, my presence will go with you. I'll give you rest. And he said to him, Moses said, if your presence will not go, do not even carry us up from here. For how shall it be known that I found favor in your sight, I and your people, unless you go with us, Lord? In this way, we shall be distinct, I and your people, from 
every people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name, Moses. And Moses said, show me your glory, Lord, I pray. Because he wanted to see him face to face again and have that consolation of the manifestation of God's glory. How marvelous that must have been. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, Moses. I will proclaim before you the name of the Lord. I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I'll show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But Moses, God said, you cannot see my face anymore. He's going to intercede on behalf of sinners and give up face time with God. No one shall see me and live anymore, said God. And the Lord continued, see, there's a place by me where you will stand on the rock and my glory will pass by and I'll put you in a cleft in the rock and I'll cover you with my hand until after I've passed by you. And I'll take away my hand and then you'll see my backside, but my face you shall not see. Ah, Lord, talk about the dark night of the soul. He can't see God anymore. He can't talk to him face to face like a friend anymore. He gave up a lot for the sinners to intercede on their behalf. He gave up FaceTime with God, the God of glory. Now Jesus, too, for 33 years, will give up FaceTime with God, face to FaceTime. He was in the heaven with God the Father, and he lowers himself to a baby human creature and gives up face-to-face glory time with God the Father. And he is now ready for this hour of glorification. Let it come, let it come, let it come. He can't wait to finish the Father's work. He can't wait to glorify the Father and get back to the right hand of the Father and sit down. When Moses gave up FaceTime with God, he faced persecution from his very own people. He gives up all that. He begs God on their behalf not to kill him, not to consume him with fire. And then Korah, remember Korah? He was one of the rich leaders of the Levites. He was a cousin of Moses and Aaron. He felt he'd been slighted and overlooked in the distribution of the highest priestly honors and leadership. And he starts a rebellion against Moses in the desert. Korah looked for associates in his campaign against Moses. Remember, God opened the earth and swallowed up Korah and all his rebels. Judas looked for an associate in his campaign against the new Moses, Jesus. He will also be a rebel. Jesus has given a face time with the Father and his own, his very own, who he's chosen. After praying to the Father all night, and he chooses this one who's going to make a campaign against him and sell him out for money. And his own Jewish brothers won't receive him and they won't believe him, most of them. Elisha... <laughs> will go out in a blaze of glory. Remember, Elijah went up in a fiery chariot. He never faced death. He went up in a fiery chariot. People saw him go up. How about Moses? <laughs> Moses' death was private, but Moses was attended by God. It was a private death with God. If you remember in Deuteronomy 34, the Lord said to Moses, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I'm going to give you descendants. I have let you see this land with your eyes, Moses, but you're not going to cross over there. Then Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab at the Lord's command. A private death with God Almighty. Look at the land. Go ahead and look at it, Moses. But you've been such a good and faithful servant, I'm going to take you to the real promised land. You don't have to go over there with all the sinful people. You and I, let's go up to Mount Nebo. And the Lord personally attended to Moses at his death and took him to a different promised land. 
heaven. And never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unequaled for all the signs and wonders the Lord had him perform. He did mighty deeds, all terrifying displays of power that Moses performed in the sight of Israel. No one has ever found the grave or the body of Moses. And he was such a huge hero in the Jewish faith, and they don't know where his grave or body is. Isn't that curious? With the accuracy of the records, we know that Jesus harrowed Hades after Jesus died on that holy Saturday. We know that Moses appeared in the transfiguration before Jesus had harrowed Hades. Hmm, what's up with that? Jude, one chapter book in the New Testament, but Jude gives us a clue. When the archangel Michael contended with the devil and disputed about the body of Moses, he did not dare bring a condemnation of slander against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Did Moses have a private departure to glory? The new Moses went out in a blaze of glory, witnessed by people, the ascension of our Lord. Jesus told him it would happen when he picked Nathaniel and said, I saw you under the fig tree. Oh, you're going to see a lot more than that, Nathaniel. That wasn't that impressive. Very truly, I tell you, you're going to see heaven open and the angels of God descending and ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. You're going to see me go out in a blaze of glory. Just wait. Now, John 17, we see there is a new priesthood being instituted. It's not going to be Levitical. It's going to be a forever priesthood, not in the order of Levi, but in the order of Melchizedek, a more ancient priest back in Genesis 14. And we've been doing this blessing, blessing. Who had the blessing? Levi doesn't have the blessing. This is not going to be a forever blessed priesthood. He did not get the father's blessing when Jacob was dying. Simeon and Levi, brother number two and three. This was his blessing. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. May I never come into their council. May I not be joined to their company. For in their anger, they killed men. And at their whim, they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger for it's fierce and their wrath, for it is cruel. Does that sound like a good blessing? They're violent. Do you remember how the Levitical priesthood was born? After the golden calf, Moses said, who's on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And they said, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, put your sword on your side. Each of you go back and forth from gate to gate throughout the camp. And each of you kill your brother, your friend, and your neighbor. How many did they kill that day of their own brethren? 3,000. They had killed the whole town of Shechem when they raped their sister Dinah. Now these Levites have killed 3,000 more of their own brethren. This is not gonna be a forever priesthood, folks. This is a temporary priesthood for a permanent problem. The permanent problem is sin. We need a permanent priesthood, a perpetual priesthood, a forever priesthood, not in the order of Levi. That was part one of the Gospel of John, chapter 17, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible studies, visit SeekingTruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.